So, all right, are you are you in Acts chapter fifteen? Find your place if you would. Acts chapter fifteen. Brother Jim read the text this morning, the end of the text anyway. Get a little, uh, hopefully, get a little context of where we're going to be. <clears throat> Acts chapter fifteen. And Acts uh, chapter 15 is probably one of the most helpful chapters when it comes to, let me give you some theological terms, church polity and doctrine. Say polity, what on earth is that? It sounds like politics. And it is one of the most helpful chapters in how a church operates and how a church is to operate and what it believes. And this chapter really does two things here in chapter 15. We see the pattern for disagreements in the church and how to handle disagreements in the church. You say there's disagreements in the church. Well, there's people, aren't there? Yeah, and there's disagreements in the church. I was in, when we were in Israel, and you're going to see here, they're going to come to Jerusalem here. They're going to go up to Israel, to, to, to the Jerusalem church, and it's all Jews at the time, mostly all Jews. And you're going to, our, our tour guide said this. He said, if there's two Jews, you have three opinions. Yeah. But really, we're not much different, are we? And so we have differences in churches. Absolutely we do. And this chapter is going to do, it's going to show us a pattern for disagreements in the church, what to do with disagreements in the church. And it is actually a manual, chapter 15 is a manual for proper doctrine in the church. And I'm speaking specifically on the doctrine of salvation. Salvation. How is it that somebody comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And both of these issues, they deal expressly with relationships. Our relation within the body, one to another, if you're a member of Calvary Baptist Church, and our relationship to Jesus Christ, how does somebody come into that relationship with Jesus Christ? The word relation means this. You can get a dictionary, you can get, I like Webster's 1828, mainly because it's closest uh, that you're going to find to the King James Bible. If you want to go to find words. Listen, our Bible is grammatically correct. And it's okay to go to a dictionary. <laughs> it's alright. By saying, if you think dictionaries are unimportant, what you're saying is the Bible has a problem grammatically. Okay? And the Bible does define itself, absolutely. But it's nothing wrong with going to a dictionary. That was free wasn't even in notes or anything. I just thought I'd throw that, throw that out there. The word relation means connection between things. I think we understand that, right? Connection between things. It's speaking, it can be speaking of kindred, of an alliance, as in a parent and a child. And that is the very word I'm using today. Okay, be careful of people who pour meanings into words. I mean, we live in a day we have to define our terms constantly because so many words get changed and conflation happens between words and we, we're, we do a terrible job at English anymore and people, we can have conversations with people using the same words and they're talking about two different things. You ever do that? Yeah. yeah. Dictionaries. Helpful things. So this word relation I'm speaking about today, we're talking about being related to somebody as in a kindred relationship. You know, we are born, we're all born into relationships, aren't we? When you come into this planet, you have a father, you have a mother, 
You may have siblings, you may not have siblings, but you have a father and a mother. You will have grandparents that either whether they were alive or not alive, but you had grandparents somewhere. We were all born into the world in a relationship. And eventually some people actually get married and they come into relationships that way. Not just the fact that they have a spouse, but they come into other relationships such as a mother-in-law or a father-in-law or a brother-in-law, sister-in-law or the like. And, and sometimes somebody else's marriage can put you into a relationship as well. My oldest sister got married in 1987 and in 1987 I got a brother-in-law and I still have him. He's still, he's still hanging around. He's a great guy. But what I'm saying is, we are, we all come into relationships and, and, in our life. And in all of these different relational possibilities, something has to be done by you or someone to get into that relationship. Okay? Whether it's by birth, whether it's by marriage, whether it's by adoption, something has to be done. So relationships are the byproduct of human action that bring about a connection. A connection. God has revealed Himself not only as our Creator, but He has revealed Himself as a Father. Relational. He purposely chose that definite that, that moniker, would you say, or that distinction. And Jesus is not only the one who created all things, John 1 1, and John chapter 1, you can go through there and look at that. Not only is he one who we find out who has created all things, but he has also been given the role of our elder brother, of our mediator, of our high priest of our Redeemer, and on and on and on. I'm, I'm talking about connection. I'm talking about, listen to me, family, relationships. But because we have been separated by God, I'm sorry, because we have been, well, yeah, but we've been separated from God due to our sin, Romans 5.12, whereas by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So as death passed upon all men, for all have sinned, Sin has separated us from God, and because that, and because God still desires uh, to be, for us to be related to Him, there has to be something that bridges the chasm that sin has caused between us and our Creator, God. So the question here in Acts chapter 15 is, how does somebody become related to God? You say, well, I am related to so-and-so. By birth. I'm related to so and so by marriage. I'm related to so and so by adoption. Well, we might ask the question, and I'll ask it today. Acts chapter 15 is going to deal with it. How do we become related to God? Yeah. Let me use the Bible word. How does somebody get saved? Amen. And this is Acts chapter 15 here. So, this is the question. Would you look at verse number one in Acts chapter 15? Acts chapter 15 and verse 1. And the Bible says, And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, look at this now, you cannot be saved. 
So what these Jews were saying, they're coming down from the Jerusalem church. They were believers. They had put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were saved, but they were coming from the Jerusalem church. They're going north up into Antioch, into the regions of, of, uh, of uh, western Syria today. They're going up into these Gentile churches that were not Jews here. They were Gentiles, except for Paul. Paul was a Jew. And, and they were teaching these Gentiles... You cannot get saved. You cannot come into a relationship with God. You cannot say, I'm related to God unless you have been circumcised. And this is what they were teaching. Okay, well, it caused a little bit of a row here at the church in Antioch because these were all Gentiles. And so it brought up a little bit of a problem. Verse 2 said, Wherefore, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. So they came to this Gentile area saying, essentially, you've got to be circumcised like the Jews are in order to be saved. And I'm sure these Gentiles are thinking, I thought I was saved. Huh, that's weird. I mean, I... It seemed like something had changed in my life. It seemed like somebody had moved into my life. It seemed like something was going. This is weird, and it messed them up. You ever caught a you ever caught a tape of somebody preaching, didn't know who it was, and might have sounded all right, but then all of a sudden it started going off the rails, and you're like, "Oh, this is weird." You ever have them bother you for a few months because they 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 pre- preached on something completely unbiblical and just bothered your spirit because they were trying to say something was wrong with you. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit of God said, no, it's not. I, I'm not an endorser of, of Charles Stanley, I, but I, I'll tell you what he said. He said he was saved in a, in a Pentecostal church. He grew up Pentecostal. He got saved as a young boy. And he said, every service, I would, he seems I'd go up and get saved again. Every service, I'd go get saved. And this is what he said. Something in my soul told me this wasn't right. And he, got, he came out of it. But he got messed up a little. This happens, doesn't it? Yeah, we get bad doctrine sometimes. And so this is what's going on in Acts chapter 15. These Jewish believers came to Antioch and they messed up this Antioch church telling them that they had to be circumcised. So what was the reason for circumcision? Here's a little Old Testament lesson for you real quickly. I'll try to run through this fast. Most of you understand this, but in Genesis chapter 8, 17, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 17, God made a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant obligated God to be God toward Abraham. He said, I'll be your God and your children's God. And not only that, but he obligated himself to give them the land of Israel. If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, going through, uh, the, going through what was that book called? Ruth. There it is. We dealt a little bit with the land. And the land was given by God. Leviticus 25, Jesus, or God said, I own the land. I own this property. And he gave it to Israel, this little piece of desert on the eastern Mediterranean that we call Israel today. And that's not all of it. That's a portion of it only. But God, part of this covenant that God made with Abraham, he said, I'm going to be your God and I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. And it was an everlasting covenant, he said. And the word everlasting, the, the, the thought of an everlasting covenant infers two things really. Number one, it, it has to mean that the seed of Abraham will be on the planet as long as people are on the planet. It's an everlasting. Why have an ever, everlasting covenant if you know, if an all-knowing, omniscient God knows Israel is not going to be on the planet someday? 
makes no sense. But number two, it reminds us that God isn't finished with Israel. And we're actually going to see this in Acts 15 here a little bit later when James speaks. But I want you to notice this. The covenant that God made with Abraham was not for salvation. Abraham was saved just like we are today by faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 4.3 For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. In James chapter 2 and verse 23, the Bible says, And the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Listen, please. The act of circumcision, the physical act of circumcision, was never the mode of Abraham's salvation. He was saved before God ever drew up this covenant with him. He was saved by faith and belief. Abraham became related to God for one reason only and by one way only because he believed him and he put his faith and trust in him. Romans chapter, is that, are we good on this? Amen? All right. You better talk to me. I'll start over. This is a, this is a group sport. This is, not in, this, this is all together here. I'm, I'm telling you, one of these days, I'm going to threaten you. I'm going to go join a black church and preach there. They talk, friend. They're fun. Yeah. I'm trying to get Trisha to teach her how to play the organ while I'm preaching and kind of get everything going that way. But man, you have got to talk to me. Here we go. This is good stuff. Romans chapter 4. See, i got to focus. i got to focus. Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, 11. Listen what the Bible says. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal, a signet like the king's signet, a legal transaction, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet been uncircumcised, he was already righteous before circumcision, that he might be the father of them that believe, though they be not circumcised. That righteousness might be imputed unto them also, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had, being yet uncircumcised. Abraham was saved by faith. So why circumcision? Well, it was a token of the covenant that God made with Abraham and his family for the land of Canaan. It was a token. It was a physical reminder of God's promise to Abraham and his posterity that the land is forever theirs and God is forever their God. And it identified also a man as a descendant of Abraham. Gentiles weren't doing this. Well, let, me, let, me, let me say it this way. You ever have a contract? And at the bottom of the contract, you've got to sign your name? That you have accepted the contract? Circumcision was just man's signature at the bottom of the covenant that God made with Abraham. But in chapter 15 of Acts, <laughs> we're talking about Gentiles. Those who are not of the seed of Abraham. Those who are not related to Abraham in any way. So this is a real problem, isn't it? Well, these Gentiles are like, uh, what, what is this? What is this circumstance? Th- this teaching from the Jewish Christians, it brought about this massive debate. And look at, ver- I re- just read verse 2 for you. Look at this. Wherefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and the elders about this Question. So out of this theological debate, 
arose the first subject of chapter 15. Chapter 15 is really has two subject matters in it. And this first one in subject of the subject matter in chapter 15 is the pattern for disagreements in the church. I love this. I like this. In verse 2, there is a great suggestion. Why don't we go up to the church at Jerusalem? Why Jerusalem? Well, this is their sending church. This is the church that would have started the church at Antioch. Not only that, this is the church at Jerusalem that Jesus started Himself. And not only that, this is the church where the apostles are still alive and still working, some of them. A lot of authority, a lot of knowledge there. They walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. It's like, let's go, let's go ask them and see what they say. So it was a pretty good suggestion. And what we see here also in verse 2 is that it was kind of a unified decision. The church agreed with it. The entire body said, this is a good plan. Let's go up there. So the church sent them. They collected a bunch of money. They had to have it to cost money to travel. Yeah church sent them up, up into, back up to the church at Jerusalem. And there is unity here in the body in the church of Antioch. You know, what wasn't going on here in Acts chapter 15, what wasn't going on was a few rogue members taking things into their own hands and dealing with issues on their own. They dealt with it as a body. Paul didn't gather people to himself. And he could have. But he didn't. There wasn't a schism created to see who could get the upper hand and control the church. They didn't start the the whole divide and conquer. No, there was unity here. Can I tell you this? Listen, when when somebody takes it on themselves to go around God's authority to correct supposed doctrinal errors and they do it in the shadows and they do it behind the scenes and they do it on the telephone and they do it on the internet and they do it on, uh, uh, what are other media, uh, texting and, and email. That's one thing. And an email. Listen, when they go around the church to deal in the shadows, to deal with doctrinal things, listen, they are telling you that they are the one who desires the attention for themselves. Why else would you do that? <laughs> Why else would that happen? No, let me help you. You know what you do when somebody contacts you like that? You know, you, you know what you do when you get an email like that? You know what you do when you get a little, a little uh, conversation in the corner of the church somewhere at some time? You know what you do? You take them by the hand. Let's say, let's go ask pastor about that. Maybe he can help us clear that up. <laughs> yeah. Because anything done in secret is to cause division in the body. Yeah. So this is what the church at Jerusalem does here in Acts chapter 15. The whole body deals with the question. The whole body deals with the issue. And the church body decides, let's send them on. Let's send Paul and Barnabas up and then go ask the apostles. So here they go. Verse 3. They're going back to Jerusalem. I liked verse. I like verse three. Don't miss this, would you please? And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring uh, the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Why do you think the Holy Spirit put verse three in there? Where did these where did these men from Judea come from? 
when they came to the church at Antioch? Well, we know they came from Jerusalem, right? Do you know where Samaria and Phoenicia is? Right on the road from Judea to, to, to Antioch. You know what they were doing most likely, these Jews? They were hitting every Gentile church probably on the way to Antioch, telling them, you've got to be circumcised to be saved. And you know what Paul and Barnabas do on the way up to Jerusalem? Stop at all the church and greet the brothers and say, Gentiles are getting saved. And you look what they said to you. What's Samaria? Samaria's half Jew, half Gentile. What's Phoenicia? Gentiles. You know what they said? They had great joy. Wow, we've been taught by these Jews coming out of Jerusalem. We've got to be, I, I, I cannot only imagine that they did this all the way down, to, to, uh, all the way up to, to Antioch. And Paul and Barnabas are probably correcting doctrine all the way back up to Jerusalem. Great joy, the Bible says. Hey, I bet. So in verse 4, they're received of the church at Jerusalem. They make it there. They give a testimony of the ministry going on in, in Antioch and among the Gentiles. And the church is enjoying that. And then in verse 5, we see a presentation of the disagreement that was going on amongst them at Antioch and, and undoubtedly in other places. Look at verse 5. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. See, this Pharisees got saved. There were Pharisees that put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, but Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now, don't get too upset at the Pharisees. Because you and I brought baggage into our relationship with Jesus Christ also. You brought belief systems with you. Maybe you grew up in a Catholic church. Maybe you grew up in Mormonism. Maybe you grew up in, in, uh, in bab- with baptismal regeneration. Maybe you grew up with who knows what. And at times we can bring wrong beliefs and wrong doctrine into our relationship with Jesus Christ. And thank the Lord that we just keep reading the Bible and we get those things corrected. Yeah? But the Pharisees did this as well. They came into this relationship with Jesus. And what did they have? They had the law... Still attached to them. They had, this is all they've ever known, folks. This, this, and it was, out of the, it was out of the Word of God. I mean, what would you expect them to do? So they had this great disagreement. And right here in verse 5 and on, really begins the second, the second subject of chapter 15. This is what I want to focus on here. I've got like 15 minutes to 45 minutes left, somewhere around there. So just let's get through this. The rest of chapter 15 is going to deal with the proper doctrine of salvation. How is it that somebody comes to be related to God? So in chapter, in chapter here in verse 6, there's this panel discussion. They're going to discuss the matter of salvation. You can go back today and read all this yourself. But there are members there of the church that were at the, in the discussion. There is apostles. There is elders of the church. Paul was there. Barnabas was there. Uh, Titus was there. You can look in Galatians chapter 2. Paul brought Titus with him as well. And the meeting went on for some time. Look at verse 6. And the apostles and the elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter we see raises up. There has been much disputing. Well, why? Wasn't an easy topic. Jerusalem was a Jewish church. It was a Jewish church. The scripture was still the Old Testament. Now, now in the Old Testament, Gentiles could become Jews, and there is a way to do that. There's a way to proselytize and become a Jew. 
And so the Jewish believers were obviously here still keeping the law at the, of, of Moses at this point in time. They were re- Watch this. Don't miss this. They were rejoicing that the Gentiles were coming to Christ. But it was the way that they were coming that bred this contention. It was how they were doing it. And so in verse 7, Peter is going to speak up. Peter is a remarkable change, isn't he? From before the crucifixion and resurrection to, to here. I heard somebody say the other day, the only time Peter opened his mouth was to change feet. Put one foot in. They had to take one foot out and put the other one in. He had a foot-shaped mouth, somebody said. Yeah, I understand. I do. But Peter's going to speak here, and boy, does he speak. Look at verse 7. He says, And when there was much dispute, Peter rose up and said unto the men and brethren, Ye know how that a good while ago, we're talking about 14 years later here approximately, a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. They're going to believe the word of God. And he says that the Gentiles got saved through my preaching And look at verse 8. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as He did unto us. So He said the Gentiles believe, and God made evidence of their belief, because they got the indwelling Spirit of God, just like we did. Don't be fooled when somebody says, you don't have all of the Spirit. Don't be fooled when somebody says, well, we have the full gospel. You don't. Can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Godhead and you cannot get part of a person. We're filled. We're sealed into the day of redemption. Now, you may not be walking and filled in the Spirit, but you are indwelt by the Spirit of God if you are in Christ Jesus until the day of redemption. And this is what Peter is saying. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God and the Gentiles believed and God made sure that they were indwelt by the Spirit of God and there is no difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. Both of them, their hearts were purified by faith. Now notice verse 9. Because verse 9 really shows what the issue is. If you have a pen, you can... Circle something or underline a couple things I'll show you here. Look at verse 9 closely and put no difference between... You can underline or circle the word us and them. Purifying their hearts by faith. Peter said God put no difference between us, Jews, and them, Gentiles. So the question wasn't about circumcision just the act of being circumcised. The question was about Gentiles becoming Jews. Peter is saying, God didn't put any difference between us and them. So that word circumcision took on a whole slew of meaning, of definition. Just like the word baptized today takes on a whole meaning of definition. When somebody says, I'm baptized, it necessitates the fact, biblically, that they've been born again and believe, put their belief, faith and trust and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been saved and then they get baptized. That's why Peter said, you know, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. He didn't say baptism takes away sin. He was saying the fact that you were baptized, true biblical baptism is only done to those who have been believed and been saved. 
Now, just kind of like that, circumcision, when somebody says, be circumcised, what they're saying, what a Jew is saying is, become a Jew. You have to become a Jew before you can be saved. You have to be related to us Israelites before you can be related to God. And Peter concludes the whole thing here, that if the Gentiles are coming to Christ and receiving the Holy Spirit like the Jews are, then the evidence is, that Gentiles don't need to become Jews in order to be saved. Who's happy with that? Amen. Look what Peter says in verse 10. Now therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? What is that word there? Notice the word tempt. What it means? It means to turn the tables on God, to make Him prove Himself. Look what they said. Why are you going to make God prove Himself by putting on them the yoke of the law. Verse 11, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. You know what happened? The groups kind of remained silent. (laughs) Then all the multitude kept silence. And gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. So now they went through a testimony service and let them know. They reported back, telling them, this is what God's doing in the Gentile lands. What a time. But now there's another point of this reinforcement that James is going to make. James is here is, is the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was an unbeliever until after the crucifixion and after the resurrection. He became a believer and obviously now James is a leader here in the church at Jerusalem. But he stands to back up Peter and I love the angle now that James is going to take. Look at verse 14. Simeon, okay, verse 13, And after they had held their peace, James answered saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, who is Simon, Simon Peter, hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, and to this agree the words of the prophets. Now watch this. James is going to the Old Testament prophets. And he says, as it is written. Okay, when it says as it is written, it's written somewhere in the Old Testament. You can go back and look at this, but he's quoting Amos chapter 9. Amos chapter 9, verses I think 11 through 11 and 12, I believe. Verse 16, he says, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. Notice a few words if you if you got to where you kind of enjoyed underlining a couple things. Try it again here in verse 16. After this, God saying this, I, God, will return. Underline return. And will, you can underline this, build again the tabernacle of David which is currently fallen down. And then I will, future, build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up. So notice the angle that James is taking here. What he's saying is, Peter's right. The prophets foretold of this. Israel is going to be put on the shelf and the time of the Gentiles will come. 
Romans 11.25, you can go look that up sometime. It says, Paul said, blindness in part has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles. What's that implying? That, that the blindness has come in part until. What's it mean? They're not going to be blind somewhere in the future. Israel's put on the shelf. Gentiles, the time of the Gentiles have come. God, listen, it was Israel's responsibility to go into the world, to essentially what we'd say today, to preach the gospel. They refused, and God said, well, I'll use Gentiles to do it. And now it's the Gentiles. It's the Gentiles, the church of Jesus Christ that is going out with the gospel. And James said, God said He will deal with Israel in the future. Now, don't miss the thought process of James here. I know I've got a lot here. I hope you can stay tuned in. We'll bring it all in. Don't worry. If God has put Israel on the shelf, why would Gentiles need to become Jews? God's not dealing with them now. So James, the only way James concludes is in verses 19 through 21 and essentially says, here's what you tell the Gentiles when you go back. Abstain from the pollution of idols. Abstain from sexual sin, fornication, which is idolatry. Abstain from the food of idolaters. What's he saying? Abstain from idolatry. What's he saying? By just separation. Come out from among them and be ye separate, 2 Corinthians 6, 6, 17, and touch not the unclean thing. James just says, when you go back to the church at Antioch, they're not, they don't need to become Jews. They can, the Gentiles are saved the same way Jews are. Just tell them to be separate from the world and to live separation. See, separation isn't a Jewish mandate. It's a child of God mandate. And this is what James is saying. And so verses 22 through 31, you can go and look at it at your own time. The apostles come back to the church at Antioch. The apostles, I'm sorry, the apostles at Jerusalem send back Barnabas and Paul to go back with a letter to be read. Brother Jim read us this portion of scripture. He sends them back with the conclusion of the matter. And needless to say, the disciples, the Gentiles at the church at Antioch were quite happy with the verdict. Look at verse 30, would you please? So when they were dismissed... They came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. I think so. So Acts chapter 15 is the perfect chapter for dealing with doctrinal questions and differences in the church. You see that? Do you know what is not biblical? Going to Facebook. No, it it happens. You know what is not biblical? Going to YouTube. It's not biblical. Going to your email accounts. Going to your text accounts. Maybe pick up a telephone. And call and say, do you know what preacher said? Do you know what Brother Carl said in Sunday school? Don't think I haven't had people come into my office and complain about you, brother. One, thank the Lord they're not here anymore. I mean it, too. I said, why don't you teach? That, they choked on that one. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm going to get mad now. Don't, don't get me going. Don't get me going. No, this is not how you deal with disagreements in a body. You deal with it in unity. You deal with it within the chain of authority and God's authority. And you talk about it. And you show the Bible. Of, and we go and you look at things. There's nothing more embarrassing to the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ than Christians taking to the internet to fight amongst each other. That's wicked. I know people think they're doing God's service, but they're not. They don't understand the church. They don't understand the church that Jesus established and how it works. Yes, we deal with error all the time. We deal with it right here. But not only are we shown how to deal with doctrinal differences, but Acts 15 etches in stone how it is that somebody can be related to the God of heaven. See, we don't become related to God by identifying with a group or a church, do we? No, we don't become related to God by being born into Catholicism or, be, or, or going through confirmation and becoming a Catholic. That does. I, I know that I read an article, I, I forget what magazine it was, that guy Mel, 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 what's his last name? He made a movie about the crucifixion. Yeah, how did you know that? No, <laughs> that was true. No, somebody asked, somebody asked him one time about his wife who's Episcopalian because the Catholic believes that the only way you can get to heaven is by being a Catholic. And the interviewer said, well, what about your wife? She's Episcopalian, which is another branch of Catholicism. And uh, he said, well, you know, she's a better person than I am. But that's what the church says. So here is a man, if he believes what Catholicism teaches, believes his wife is going to separate from him someday and go to hell someday because she's not a Catholic. No, no we don't, thank, aren't you thankful that we're not related to God through, a, through Catholicism? Through becoming a Catholic? We don't get related to God by being baptized in the Mormon church. We do not get related to God by joining the Jehovah's Witnesses. We do not get related to God by becoming Islam. Uh, Why would we want to do that? No, listen, we don't get related to God by being a Baptist. Not at all. This is what Acts 15 is is said on now. The only way anyone has ever been related to God or come into relation with God is by faith and belief. That is it. It's never changed and it never will. Remember when Jesus was at His baptism? Jesus is in the water. The Holy Spirit is descending. The Father is in heaven. You see the triune Godhead there. And the Father looks down and He says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. And what did Jesus say? You must be born again. Yeah. So the question is, how is somebody born into the family of God? Believe. Believe Believe what? Well, you believe that Jesus is the only eternal, only begotten Son of God. Do you know there's groups that follow Jesus? They follow God. They have their own group, but they deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Friend, that's not the offer that God put on the table. The offer God put on the table was His Son, Jesus Christ, who is very God. Hebrews 1.8 Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Thy kingdom. The Father called Jesus God. 
John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He is the only eternal begotten Son of God, the second person of the, of the, of the, of the Godhead. John 1.14, And the Word, Jesus, was made flesh. He existed already. He has always existed. And dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What do you have to believe? You've got to believe who Jesus is. Who he claims to be. You have to believe that Jesus is the only way into the family. John 14, 6. Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I was visiting with a, a very nice man over here on visitation one time. A Mormon man. And he said, well, you know, I, I, just, I, 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 just, I, I just believe that there's many ways, like there's many roads to Springfield, there's many ways to God. I said, that would be fine if God said that, but it's not what He said. Jesus said, I'm the way. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So you've got to believe that Jesus is the only way into the family. You've got to believe that our sins have separated us from God. Isaiah 59 Isaiah says, but your, sin, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. And Romans 5.12, Wherefore as by one man sinned into the world, and death, by, and, 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 death, I'm sorry, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for, all, for that all have sinned. Yeah. Our sins have separated us from God. We are sinners by nature. We don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. That's our nature. And as sinners, the penalty is death. Is anybody convinced that we all die? Anybody not convinced? Anybody thinking, you know, I'm not real big on this whole death thing. I think, I think it's totally overblown. Just doesn't. I don't believe it. It's right up there, coronavirus. Don't believe it. Don't believe death. Don't believe coronavirus. Oh. Yeah. What's the penalty for death, though? What's the penalty of sin? It's death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know you need to believe? You've got to believe that the only payment for sin is blood. The life of somebody else. We know what Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things, almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The only payment for sin was the perfect blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe that? You've got to believe that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the Father's Lamb, spotless Lamb, became the atonement for our sins. 1 John, 1 John 3.16 Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 2.2 2, And He is the propitiation He's the satisfies me. He's the appeasement to God for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
Jesus Himself, the second person of the Godhead, offered His own blood upon the cross for a purpose. Not just to be crucified. Not just because He was some radical that got caught. But He came and offered His blood for the atonement of our sin. And then seventh, you've got to finally believe that Jesus rose from the dead bodily. He didn't swoon and come back alive again. He didn't come out spiritually. He came out bodily. 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You know what this is? The gospel. (laughs) You believe the gospel? You know, if you'll believe the gospel and you'll put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, you too will be born into the family of God. Yeah. You know what that'll move you to do? Confess. Confess. You know, you, most of you could Rome, quote Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And I love Romans ten thirteen. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you know what Paul goes on to say in Romans eight fifteen. For ye have not received the spirit of fear, uh, of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Relationship. You've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. (laughs) How do you get related to God? Just the same way Abraham was. By faith. Ephesians 1.5 says, Having predestinated us under the adoption of children of, by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. What was predestinated? That we would come into the family of God as an adopted child with all of the rights of a child. Join heirs with Jesus Christ. Yeah. God is our Father. Jesus called our elder brother. Are you related to God? If not, you can be.